Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, Interim Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Today, we are joined by Dr. Nancy Wenjanak, a professor of laboratory medicine and pathology and microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Wenjanak is our director of the clinical mycology and mycobacteriology laboratories, and she's here today to talk about some emerging fungal infections. So Dr. Wenjanak, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Dr. Pritt. Happy to be here. So there has been an increased focus on fungi in the media lately. For example, in the plot line for an immensely popular series, The Last of Us, a mutant fungus ravages the United States by infecting humans and turning them into zombies. Quite an interesting plot line. It sounds far-fetched, but I understand that there is some precedence for this in the insect world, so I'm curious to learn more. Also concerning is the fact that in October of 2022, the World Health Organization released its first ever list of fungal priority pathogens that pose a significant threat to humans. And just this month, in the March of 2023, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued a press release outlining the increasing threat posed by the alarming spread of the antimicrobial-resistant fungus Candida auris across the world and inside of our hospitals. So that brings me to the topic for today. Should we be concerned that there are fungi that are effectively out in the environment plotting against the human race? Well, that's a good question, Dr. <laughs> Pritt. I mean, we're always surrounded by fungi, whether we're inside or outdoors, and there are a whole variety of fungi that we coexist with in our world every day. So scientists aren't exactly sure how many different fungi there are, but it's estimated there are approximately 18,000 different genera of fungi and between two to four million different species. And only about 120,000 of these species have been described to date by mycologists. So we still have a lot to learn about the fungi. And the fungi, they tend to get a bad rap. No one wants to see them in their bread box or in their refrigerator or in their basement, should it be damp down there. But fungi actually do some very useful things and critical tasks to help mankind survive. So they're responsible for the decomposition of organic matter. It helps keep the carbon cycle going to recycle nutrients. They're relied upon heavily in the food and beverage industry where they're responsible for the production of some of my very favorite things. So bread, wine, and beer. They produce antibiotics like penicillin and anti-rejection drugs like cyclosporin. So they have important roles in helping to maintain human health. And plus, some of them are downright delicious if you like to eat mushrooms and truffles. So fungi are also a normal flora of the human body where they can be found on our skin and in the mouth and on other mucosal surfaces and also in our respiratory, genital and digestive tracts. So having a healthy balance of normal commensal fungi is important to keep our internal microbiome strong. But fungi can also be significant human and animal pathogens. And oftentimes they don't get the, the press like their cousins do, the bacteria or the viruses, but they are responsible for more than a billion human infections each year, and they result in about 1.6 million deaths annually. The diseases they cause range from superficial hair, skin, and nail infections caused by the dermatophytic fungi to oral and vaginal mucosal infections, allergic reactions, and respiratory infections, as well as chronic and acute invasive infections, especially in immunocompromised hosts, such as somebody with 
undergoing cancer treatment or a diabetic or maybe a transplant patient. And in these immunocompromised hosts, fungi can oftentimes have very high morbidity and mortality. Thank you for that introduction, Dr. Wenjanak. I've never heard fungi described so thoroughly and in such great context about why we need them in some contexts, but then in others, how they can be very deadly and problematic. Well, let's go back to then this interesting show that is now playing The Last of Us and the fungus that is discussed in that particular show, commonly referred to as cordyceps. So can a fungus actually turn humans into zombies? No, I don't think so. Or maybe I should say not yet as a you. safer, more measured answer. So, mm -hmm. so the fungus in The Last of Us is named Opthiocordyceps unilateralis, more commonly referred to as cordyceps. It can actually turn insects into what are essentially insect zombies. So the fungus infects the insects, usually particular strains of carpenter ants, dragonflies, some other insects, and it effectively seizes control of their brain and their muscle causing them to seek out food sources that the fungus needs for survival. So unfortunately, this ultimately kills the insect. And so if you search online, you can find some pretty graphic but fascinating photos of the fungal hyphae and the spore sacs from the fungus emerging from the head or the body of the ant or the dragonfly. And the sac can then be disrupted by the wind or by other insects going by or by other factors that disrupt the sac and the fungal spores fly out and they're released into the environment or they can find new ants to infect or other insects, or they can find other areas to, to spread, thus carrying on the fungal life cycle. So essentially the insect is a vector that allows the fungus to spread to distant environments. So it, it does kind of turn the insect into a zombie. So, yeah. And I know Dr. Pritt, you're well aware of there are other areas where this sort of zombification, I guess, occurs of hosts by microbes. And one that comes to mind is in the parasite world with one of your favorite parasites, Toxoplasma gondii. So- Yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah, so you're well aware that Toxoplasma gondii infects cats and it's usually not harmful to them, but the oocysts of Toxoplasma gondii are shed in the cat's urine and other animals like birds and mice and humans can become in infested by ingesting contaminated water or vegetables or meat. And in humans, it can cause disease. It causes severe lung and brain disease, especially in persons with weakened immunity. And there've been some reports of possible behavioral changes in humans caused by Toxoplasma gondii infection. Interestingly, out in the animal world, it actually uh, causes mice to essentially become zombies. If mice are infected, the parasite infects their brain and essentially turns them into mouse zombies. And it causes them to lose their natural fear of cats, which makes them easy prey for cats. So they end up getting eaten by the cat. The cat gets infected by the, the infected mouse and then the whole cycle repeats itself over and over again. So essentially there are a couple of real life examples of zombies caused by fungi and parasites out in the world. It doesn't cause me to lie awake at night worrying about cordyceps turning us into zombies. Uh, thankfully fungi aren't transmitted from person to person. So having a fungus spread widely and rapidly following a bite or ingestion of contaminated foods is probably pretty unlikely. So that doesn't keep me awake at night. Well, that's good to hear that you don't think our population is doomed from a zombification fungus. But is there any aspect of the fungal jungle that does give you reason for concern? Well, there are a number of fungi that are right now significant human pathogens. And genre that come to mind are Aspergillus, Histoplasma, Blastomyces, Coccidioides. 
the mucoralis group like rhizoposa mucor, but there are many other genres as well that cause human infections. They rarely infect healthy people, but they can be difficult to treat in an immunocompromised host. Another group of fungi that's gotten a lot of press lately are the yeast. And there's one in particular that's gotten a lot of attention in the media, and that is Canada auris. Recently, there's been a release by the World Health Organization. They put out a fungal priority pathogens list to provide the first global effort to prioritize fungal pathogens of public health importance in order to direct resources to unmet research and development needs for these fungi. In their very highest priority group, which they labeled as critical needs, is Canada auris. And then in addition, just last week on March 20th, 2023, the CDC published a press release that sounded an alarm about the increasing rate and spread of antimicrobial resistant Canada auris in healthcare facilities in the United States. So Canada auris is an emerging fungal pathogen that's becoming an increasing threat to humans today, especially those with compromised immune systems or those who have long or frequent stays in our hospitals. So I'm hearing that perhaps we shouldn't be staying awake at night worrying about cordyceps turning us into zombies, but perhaps Canada auris is something that's a bit more of a concern. Can you tell us why Canada auris is such a concern for the WHO and the CDC? Sure. So Canada auris is a yeast, much like many other Canada species, Canada albicans, Canada gabbrata. It's generally not a threat to healthy people, but it can cause serious disease in people who are already sick with other afflictions who may have invasive medical devices like IV lines or catheters, or who have frequent or long stays in hospitals. So it was first isolated, oddly enough, from the ear canal of a patient in Japan in 2009. We'd never heard of it before then. And no alarm bells started ringing with that first report of Canada auris in an ear canal. But since then, it's been recovered from patients around the world with the first case reported in the United States in 2016. And clinical cases have increased each year with over 3,000 cases of infection and more than 7,000 cases of asymptomatically colonized individuals reported in the U.S. through December 31st of 2021. So in 2021 alone, 17 states in the United States reported their first case of Canada auris. So the frequency of cases is increasing and the spread throughout the world is increasing. And then equally concerning is the fact that Canada auris is often resistant to multiple classes of antifungal drugs that make it therefore difficult to treat. So the CDC reported that in 2021, the number of cases of Canada auris that were resistant to the echinocannon class of antifungals tripled according to their, their data. So that's the primary class of drugs used to treat Canada auris infection. And so the fact that we're seeing an increasing rate of resistance becomes very concerning. Also concerning are the fact that for some reason, Canada auris can persist in the environment longer than other Canada species. So it's more difficult to eradicate and get rid of in the environment, but also in our hospital rooms and our hospital wards and things like that. It's more resistant to cleaning and disinfection. So we need to make sure we do a good job of cleaning and disinfection. Hand washing is critical as always to keep it from spreading in a hospital from an infected patient or even just an asymptomatically colonized patient to another patient on the same ward or in the same hospital system. So for this reason, the CDC has directed that hospitals perform surveillance screening of high-risk patients to identify those who are in the hospital that may be asymptomatically colonized and at risk for spreading the infection to others. So our infection control folks are helping to do this screening to try to identify these colonized individuals. So 
Candida aureus causes serious infections in humans. It's often multi-drug resistant, and it's really difficult to eradicate because it has better ability to survive in the environment. So that gives it all kind of the classic earmarks of a pretty impressive fungal pathogen. And that's why it may, gives me pause and concern today, more so than cordyceps turning us into zombies. <laughs> I could definitely understand that, Dr. Wenjanak. It sounds like quite a, a reason for concern. Can you please tell our listeners about the laboratory diagnostics for Candida auris? And because I can't resist, can you also talk about the laboratory diagnostics for cordyceps? Sure, absolutely. So we'll start with Candida auris. So when it was first described in 2009, we had never heard of it before. And so we didn't have any reliable clinical diagnostics, even up through the first case uh, in 2016 in the United States, we didn't have any reliable clinical laboratory diagnostics. Many of the semi-automated systems that we used for yeast identification at the time didn't have misidentified it or did not have it in their library. The Maldi-Toff mass spectrometry systems at the time didn't have it in their library. Since then, thankfully, we've developed pretty good laboratory diagnostics for Canada Auris. The semi-automated systems, the Maldi-Toff libraries have all added it so we can identify it well when it grows in culture. We here at Mayo and a few other places have PCRs that are specifically targeting Canada Auris. So for instance, the surveillance swabs that we get from our IPAC, our infection prevention and control colleagues in the hospital, we use a targeted PCR to look for Canada Auris on that. And that's been very helpful in identifying these colonized and infected patients very quickly. So we have pretty good diagnostics, very rapid diagnostics now. If it grows in culture, we can identify it well. If people are colonized, we can identify it well. And we also can perform antifungal susceptibility testing using our current phenotypic methods on Canada Auris. So we have what I would say are pretty robust diagnostics for Canada Auris. Cordyceps, on the other hand, we don't have any human clinical diagnostic laboratory diagnostics for. Thankfully, I don't think we're going to need them, but I'm pretty confident given our track record with Canada Auris and COVID and many of the other pathogens that we've recently had to, to muster diagnostics for rapidly. Should we need a diagnostic for cordyceps in the future, I'm pretty sure our mycologists could develop a, a method that would enable us to detect it. Well, thank you, Dr. Wenjanak. I'm taking away that we should enjoy the TV shows, but don't worry about cordyceps turning us into zombies, but also rest assured that the clinical mycology lab is going to have the diagnostics we need for the fungi that really do pose a risk to humans. Thank Absolutely. you again for the really enlightening discussion and for joining us today on this podcast. Great. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.